Hello, everyone. Um, hi, and welcome to The Bridge, an interview series by Talent at Web3, where we speak with Web3 founders in Asia and Z to understand why they are building in Web3. My name is Nigel, and today we have Nathaniel, or Nat, with us today. Hey, Nat. Um, off cam, you mentioned that you're a, you were a lawyer for 10 years, and then you discovered Web3, and now you're building in Web3. Uh, tell us more about that. What is your Web3 origin story? Yeah, hi, 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 everyone. Hi, Nigel. Thank, thanks for having me uh, today. Uh, I so so like they said, I I started as a lawyer, and and I was practicing the whole in private equity, VC, M and A, and tech startup kind of phase. Did about a billion dollars in deal, deal size altogether. Uh, but I also was working a lot with tech companies because in fundraising and VC, they work a lot with tech companies. And from 2016 to 2017, I, I also had a lot of friends in tech and many of them were exploring crypto. There was a point in time where they had to find a lawyer to represent them because crypto was getting a bit more legitimate. And I was a friend and they were like, you know, why don't you help us? So I started from there working in the ICO. That was 2016, 2017, the whole ICO phase, moving on to DeFi, worked with companies like Huopi, Binance, uh, and various companies across the world in the either crypto, Web3 uh, kind of deals. And as I saw the trend move, I was getting more and more excited about what they were doing. And I knew that I had to step into this area sooner or later. So after 10 years of working in the legal industry, I figured it was time to move on and, and push myself to a different area of growth. Awesome. But okay, my understanding or my impressions of lawyers are very practical, very logical. You don't like the bullshit. What about Web3? Did you see that, okay, this is, as you mentioned, becoming more legitimate now. Why do you think it's a, it's a good space to be in? Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a, not tension point, but a very clear uh, character difference we see amongst the founding team and even, even. I think the exact obstacle or, or concern is the exact opportunity. Uh, the whole crypto market, Web3, has been generally is heavily unregulated. You don't have the same scrutiny as with the traditional that Thread 5. And because of that, there's, there are some, you know, there's flexibility or there is obviously the opportunity for bad actors. I think that very concern is the very same opportunity for legitimate entrepreneurs who are really building and building for the better to step in to improve the industry. So in the early days when knowledge is still a gap, I think, and this is similar for every industry that starts, at the early stage of knowledge gap, it's where bad actors can thrive, but at the same time, it's where good actors can step in to take that opportunity to consolidate and really define the next generation of businesses. Interesting. And you found, and, and you want to be one of those good actors, and I, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess p- probably by uh, occupational hazard as well, you know, we have to uh, follow the law. We have to be legal. <laughs> um, in that case, out of all the Web3 um, sectors, I guess, which part of the Web3 space are you building in and why? Hmm. I think we, we took some time to understand what Web3 means. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking a technology is the product. And they've done this okay. you know, in many, many seeds, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you think of the dot-com boom, a website used to be the product, and if you launch a website, you would raise at a crazy valuation. And then during the whole dot-com boom and bust, 
people realize that, you know, 15 years later, we realize that, hey, you know, it's websites aren't a product, it's a technology, right? I think even at crypto, like, like cryptographic and token technology, be it in coins or in uh, NFTs, I think these are products and these are, sorry, these are technologies and it's a vehicle to kind of deliver value. So for us, really understanding what Web3 enabled and what we could do with it was important to decide which business we were going towards. And I think what we saw, at least as of today, is that Web3 is a way of putting a certain asset in people's hands to own a part of something which the market values. Where in the business does that pertain to? What kind of business does it, does it pertain to? Our thesis is that it applies a lot to what we call the attention economy and brand equity. So the business we are building generally pertains towards that whole industry. Interesting. Um, so it's giving assets to the hands of people, but that isn't new, right? Uh, it's, it's totally possible uh, to create a financial instrument to do something like that. Why do you think Web3 is different? That's, that's correct. So I think I, I, I like to describe Web3 as a combination of what, what I call technology adoption and cultural movement. You're absolutely right. I mean, you think of blockchain technology, right? Blockchain technology has existed many, many years ago, right? But for the first time in, in, in the last two years, we're seeing a huge exchange of value purely based on code. So in the past, you know, I, I, as, a, as a lawyer, I'll advise you, if you want to verify ownership, make sure you, it's either in his pocket, you know, this is my phone, I own it in the pocket, or the wallet's in my pocket, I, or, or a government industry, right? You know, uh, authority. You own a house, you have the land titles deed. I think crypto technology was around, but for the first time, we see the market validating it in terms of the huge exchange of money purely based on code. So it is both technology adoption as well as cultural movement. I think at this time, if you look at where value is accruing in a number of the top Web3 or NFT projects, it has a lot to do with what I call brand equity. Why is, you know, a monkey worth so much? It doesn't make mm. sense. You know, why is a picture of, you know, uh, uh, an anime looking character, Azuki, worth so much? I think it's quite closely tied to the brand equity. I think if you want to bring it to a Web2 analogy, if you look at a balance sheet and where companies look at what they call intangible assets or goodwill, I think NFTs for the first time give an indicator or a proxy of what that brand equity is validated by market and social valuation. In that case, what, why, why are you so interested in this problem? What does this unlock for you mm. now that you can digitally own stuff? So we, we looked at a number of problems, statements in the industry. And, and going back to the attention economy, I think you, we've seen an evolution in this, what I call it, attention economy, right? If you think of what, when the internet first started, it was about reach. If I have a blog post and I put Google ads, you know, and I reach X number of people, I get paid, right? And then we saw that dying down. Like, like just purely mass attention was dying. And then we moved to what I call targeted attention, where you would say, okay, you know, this is a 30-year-old guy. He has two dogs. Let me send him advertisements of dog food, right? It was targeted attention, looking for reaction. So mass attention, looking for reach, moving to target attention, looking for reaction. I think we are seeing that evolve. People are getting a bit more savvy that they are the product. They're being monetized. Their time and attention is being monetized. You know, there's this whole privacy movement, right? And, and I think the big advertisers are finding that 
just having mass attention, even target attention, may not lead to conversion. I think at the brink of what we saw at Web2 was small communities or more relational communities coming together to talk about and, and to push products. And basically, I think the example I will use is that if you were to buy a set of headphones, you actually wouldn't Google it more than you would go to Reddit to see what people were talking about. There was the rise of the whole micro-influencer. And I think what Web3 enabled was how do we build communities? How do we align incentives among the people in the community knowing that, you know, that, that we have the interest at heart? What can I put in their hands so that my success equals their success? I think on a very high level, uh, this is what Web3, that's the theory on the thesis of what Web3 can do. And that's exactly the playbook Avium is trying to uh, figure out and bring to market. Interesting. So if I understand that correctly, you're saying Web3 is essentially the ad economy, but even more targeted, even more specific. I think Web3 is the attention economy, which mm. has traditionally been monetized through advertisements and sponsorship, traditionally. right? Okay. But now we are moving towards an alignment between finding your 1,000 or 10,000 true advocates and true supporters that benefit from the product and aligning interests so that you can succeed together. I think that is the cultural movement or the social movement of Web3. Mm, interesting. Uh, there's a lot of questions I want to ask there. Like, for example, um, does, that, I know, does, right? it mean, <laughs> yeah, does it mean that there will be no more big winners and value will just be fragmented across different small micro communities and therefore micro brand leaders? Or rather, there, it, there will still be consolidation and stuff like that. Um, yeah, maybe something there. Uh, but it feels like <laughs> this feels like a big topic overall. I, no, I I think so. I think what what we see today is that there are you know a lot of centralization, right? Think of yeah. the major distributors of media. There are only six: mm. Apple TV, Netflix, you know, so and so forth, right? Mm. I think even in the media scene, for example, it's really hard for a creator to succeed and, and to make it big. You are actually drowned out by a lot of noise because you have unlimited content being created because of technology, facing saturated and very scarce and limited attention because 24 hours a day is 24 hours a day. Mm. I think, can we change the fragmented economics of a winner-takes-all kind of pyramid and the current economic scene and bring some of that value down to be shared across a larger class of people? Uh, I think that is what, potentially Web3 technology enables people to do together with the social movement. Okay, got it. So let, let's round this out before we go specific into AVM then and how you're fixing it. What So what is broken with, as you say, the attention economy and how is how are you trying to fix it or how are you trying to, what problem are you trying to tackle? Yeah, the so, so where the current economy is broken is that there's, a lot of centralization to a number of main platforms, which is not a problem in that sense. More, more the fact that I think the risk-reward ratio across both parties are not aligned correctly. Okay, this is sounding a bit technical. I, I can appreciate it's a bit technical, but uh, just, just let me break this down slowly. Mm. When a media studio goes to Netflix or a distributor or publishing house, what happens is that when they negotiate a deal, what they usually do is to give up 90% of the rights they get a 10% royalty at max and maybe some upfront uh, kind of revenue. 
for the licensing fee. And then the distributor takes all the rights. The reason why this happens is because when the distributor goes to market, they can't confirm that it will be a success. You know, we've seen kind of A-list movies, huge budget, still not doing well. Right? There is that imbalance. So is it fair or unfair? I think the fact is that both sides have some struggles. I think what Web3 and the thesis we have is that when you build and you build from the community, and we use a lot of examples. So Reese Witherspoon is a great example. Reese Witherspoon actually has a book club. At the same time, she also has a publishing house, a publishing studio. And what she does is every time there's a script, she brings it to a book club to kind of go through the script and get their feedback and ideas. She tweaks them, and then the publishing studio obviously publishing, publishes it. And she said it very clearly. You know, she'd rather have one million true fans who enjoy it rather than a hundred million who kind of don't really enjoy it. And the process of getting the community involved, helping her to publish it as well, aligns that interest and they find the true fans. I think Avum's looking at that. How do you use Web3 to allow the community to own? And when I say own, it may not only be financial ownership, right? To mm-hmm. own the process of bringing the movie to the big screens or their esports teams or their games so that at the start, at least you have the first 10,000 fans. You obviously have to be a good movie. You obviously you know, need to have certain kind of uh, marketing plans as well. But you solve that 0 to 1, 1 to 10,000 kind of plan. And every content creator will tell you that the first 10,000 people are always the hardest to find. And after that, there's a bit more of that snowball effect. I think from a broad industry point of view, this is the problem statement we're looking at. And what Avium is doing is building that ecosystem of the right stakeholders to address this problem. Uh, Nat, you were talking about Avium, the ecosystem that you've built. Uh, can you give us an, an overview of what exactly is Avium? Okay, uh, I think the one-liner is that Avium is a gaming and media publisher. We are combining esports e-sport, teams with media and animation studios and game studios and bringing them to Web3 so that they can publish uh, with the community that they are uh, targeting. That's kind of the one-liner. Uh, many things to kind of break down. And, and if you look at the overall uh, thesis, I think there are three different pillars. We are working with animation studios who create amazing and great content. We are, we've, we are already working with two full-time studios. Uh, it's Circles, shout out to Circle Studio, uh, as well as Caravan Studio. They're doing the art and the animation behind all of Avium. Uh, we're actually publishing our own, uh, IP series, an original IP series that, an animation series that one day will go to the big screens. Uh, and, and that's what they've been working on. We've actually onboarded, uh, close to four to five esports teams as well. Uh, that will play under the banner or, or with the banner of Avium, uh, our esports arm is called Slate. Uh, we're also talking to a media network, uh, which will hopefully come on board to bring about, you know, social media channels and social media content creators to build together with Avium. Got it. Okay. And just for the people who aren't super familiar with the value chain of a game studio or a media studio or animation studio, um, could you talk us through an example? Like, Pick whatever real-life example you're willing to share. What exactly would have been their journey in Web2? And yeah. which part of that journey does Avium go into it? And how, how does it relate to Web3? 
So I think one of the challenges, let's use the animation studios and media studios in Southeast Asia, Asia currently. I think one of the pain points is that a lot of them are what we call outsourced studios. So mm. the studios you're working with have great talent, amazing talent. They've worked with Lego, with Disney, with Marvel, you know, the Dota series, Valve. And these are internationally recognized brand assets and brand and media, right? But because they are outsourced, generally they are, they are left with doing the work and, you know, they are basically outsourced agencies. A lot of them dream of making their own IP, but I think from a cost perspective, there's quite a bit of investment today in building their IP, right? So what usually happens is that they may spend some time putting together the, the IP Bible, which is, you know, a, a compendium of the storyline, uh, you know, some of the characters, some of the law, and, and they'll build up to some degree. And, and they will take that and either go to a publisher studio or go straight to a distributor to try and negotiate and say, hey, you know, this is what we've done. How do you like it? You know, some of them may take the, the free to air. So they may, if, if they have a bit more cash to invest, they may invest in building up some of the assets, going to free to air, and then taking that route again to go to negotiate a deal with the distributors. What happens at the distributor or publisher stage is that because of risk reward economics, it's hard for the studios to get a good deal. You know, they, they may sign away all their rights and get a 10% royalty and a one-time payment. And, and because of that, and, and the fact of the matter is that a lot of power is aggregated at the distributor level because they get 10,000 of ideas and, you know, the chances of being rejected is high by a matter of percentage. And therefore, a lot of studios which try to go down this, this path finds that the risk-reward ratio is not optimal. So it's really hard to produce. I think that's a function of the fact that there's so much content and attention is scarce. What Web3 tries to do is that it tries to find, or what Avams tries to do via Web3, right, is that it finds the true community that enjoys and wants to interact with your content by placing an NFT in their hand, which is meant to be a reflection of the brand equity of that very asset we are promoting. If they give their attention to it and they help it to succeed, and it, you know, it does succeed, then there's an alignment of incentive between the viewer, the community member who owns a part of it, and the studio who wants to publish it. And they can succeed together. I think in a nutshell, that's the difference between Web 2 and Web 3 and how we see things playing out. Got it. And just to take a step back, in the Web 2 model, when you mentioned the studio versus the distributor, I think a key part of this is that distributors, they're the ones who have the relationship with the end user right now, like the viewers, um, the people who use the product, etc. Is that correct? That's correct. And and I think in Web2, we saw a model called direct-to-consumer. Mm. You know, and when we take out a middleman, I think in Web3, it is something like that, but I think we call it direct-to-community. So you can reach out to your community, build that relationship, incentivize them as well, align that benefit, and you're direct to the community. Instead of 1 million, uh, instead of 10 or 100 million kind of peripheral fans, you start with your 1 million true fans and build from there. Got it. And Avium is, you go direct to the studios and then you help them find this community and then you help them create the NFTs that signify that relationship between an end user and the studio. Is that right? That is exactly correct. This is the very playbook we are trying to prove. Uh, We're in a stage where I call, instead of product market fit, it's called playbook market fit. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that is exactly where we are. Uh, Avium Origins, which is the launch coming up actually on the 25th of January. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, is the exact uh, playbook we're trying to prove because the Avium Origins is a, an original content series that we are hoping to start to be speaking to the major distributors using the Web3 method. And this will be the first Web3 media that goes to the big screens. Interesting. So walk us through that. Like if I if I take part of or Avium Origins, what do I get as an end user? So I think as end user, the, the starting point must be, you must be interested in this. I mean, let, let's start from there. Okay, but imagine if, imagine if, 50 years ago or, or X number of years ago, you owned a piece of, let's say, Captain America mm. or Iron Man or one of these you know, comics. I think the journey of a fan to see his character and what he holds go from the comic you know, to a video game, to a big screen, I think that ownership journey of being proud of what your community is doing and succeeding is really exciting. I think ultimately it is that experiential journey of that ownership journey that cannot be taken away. From a financial point of view, obviously, you know, the thesis is that if something becomes more popular, you know, then obviously the demand for that product increases and therefore its financial value should increase. Right? But that's I think from a financial point of view, I think the ownership journey is what we're looking at. Mm, got it. And if they, how, how does this model work? If I take part of um, Avium Origins, will that be a, will I be a part owner of uh, all studios that work with Avium or only like a specific initial set? So, so this is the secret sauce and this mm. is what we're building. I think, think of owning an Avium Origins, think of an NFT as a type of asset. Right? The mm. question is what, what does the asset do? What does it represent? And in Avium, the design is that Origins is our content and IP pillar. More studios will be coming in. Underlying that asset is what I call a media library. So think mm-hmm. of, imagine Marvel has a media library of, you know, all its 3D characters, its songs, its music, the mm-hmm. environments, you know, all, all, all of that. Mm-hmm. What that underlying asset, I think our thesis is that if you decentralize that and you open it up for people to build on and give them access to that, that is what they really own. And that can be very powerful because not only does it incentivize people to take part, but if you are a creator and you want to build on top of that, the possibilities are limitless. Mm, interesting. Okay. So only people who have the AVM Origins NFT let's say, they, they will be the only one who has access to this media library. That's right. right? That's right. There, I mean, there are some technical licensing terms and, and, and all of that, but you know, I'll leave out the legalese, but that's one of the benefits. Interesting. Okay. Can't wait. I will definitely dive into this uh, to know more. <laughs> um, how, how, did you, how did you stumble upon it? Were you always uh, into IP? So... I, I think personally from young, I, I have not only been a consumer, but you know, I, I, I think everyone's a creator at heart. There, there is a part of us which likes to create, right? You know, some people like to, to do podcasts. Some people like to, to write. Some people like to, you know, different things. I, I've always enjoyed games. I, I've played, I, I've read stories. I've read all the classics. And 
I guess in, in some way, being a lawyer is also about writing stories, if you think about it. But uh, I, I think there's always a part of me which kind of like felt for this industry and knowing it. Uh, I think doing Avium was a crossroads of a lot of things. I think having the working experience, under, understanding incentive alignment, because the practice of law is really about align, aligning incentives, right? And seeing what could be done for the better uh, was a, I mean, that, that, that was the motivation jumping to Avium. I think having experience, meeting the right people, you know, going through a career, having some degree of financial stability allowed me to, to make this crazy move, which where we will be either gloriously correct or gloriously wrong. And, you know, the jury's still out. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, what, what, for you, what is the big vision here? Like, what do you want to see happen in AVM uh, such that you think, okay, cool, I'm, I'm on the right track? So AVM's kind of vision statement is mm. what we call enabling passion, building dreams for AVM for all. Mm. And underlying that vision statement is a set of values that if you build for the better, you can improve the lives of people. I think the ecosystem we are trying to set up addresses certain pain points for different stakeholders. I think as a general you know, rule, uh, people are being monetized in some way, which is detrimental. Uh, aligning incentives allow us to give them a chance to do it in a better way. And on top of that, I think the discovery of good IP, good content, uh, is, is quite buried under a lot of noise in today's noisy world. Uh, don't get me wrong, Web3 is far from perfect, like far, far, far from perfect. But I think we need to strip away that noise and ask ourselves whether the technology adoption coupled with that social movement combined together can do something better. I think companies like Grab, you know, for example, I think the, the whole movement towards the gig economy where you are your own boss has its benefits and its obviously disadvantages. But it took a while to give people the ability to kind of, you know, own their own jobs, do something, work remotely. I think a lot of these social movements take a while to kind of move into because think about it, right? Technology has been around, like, like streaming or working from work from home, remote technology has existed for a long time. But there are certain crossroads in the world where potentially you see a new business model and business form evolving. I think for Web3, it just feels like this is the time. You have macroeconomic in Web2 coming down. You have the attention economy being questioned. You have, you know, the, the world's in a very interesting state. And, and to be honest, every industry is down, right? I think this is the opportunity to kind of look at where you can redefine things and how to do things for the better, which is why I think the crossroads is here today. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. We're, we're still kind of early. Uh, and we're like, still building for the future of Pepsi. Um, you mentioned yeah, yeah. a while ago. Um, can you tell us more about that? You, you shared us one example of the animation studio. What is this ecosystem that Avium is trying to, to build yeah. we, for the stakeholders who benefit? <laughs> so it's quite funny. I think sometimes, you know, uh, amongst the team, we, we ban the word ecosystem. And I, <laughs> I stopped using all these buzzwords. Ecosystem, infrastructure, you know, so many of these like big... Okay, mm. I think to, to simplify, right? 
An ecosystem is just a combination of a number of stakeholders producing value for the benefit of each other. Think of a country any, or, or even a town, right? A town which has a coffee shop, a barber, a butcher, you know, a coffee farmer. I think, I think that forms the basis of an ecosystem where they interact with each other. I think ecosystems enable things. Think of, you know, the statement, where, I think there was a point in time in, let's say, Singapore where they said, okay, we need to build up the startup ecosystem. And I was around then, right? So they wanted to have more VCs here, providing financing and funding. They wanted to have more incubators, providing knowledge. They obviously wanted more founders to start. They needed to look at the legal regime to say, how do we enable them to start better? What licensing do we need? What's the best way? I think if you look at the AVM ecosystem, what we are trying to do is really to gather the right stakeholders to improve this. And to us, if you look at a publishing, media, and gaming ecosystem, what will you need? Number one, you need people. You need the community interested. Number two, you need a what I call distribution channels. How do you attract attention, right? Uh, so in terms of the esports teams or the media assets, I think these are the front-facing attention-generating assets. You need capacity. You need the studios themselves who are producing these things, So, which is why we've onboarded those studios. You need financiers. You got film, you know, media financiers, which is why we did a fundraising round in August where we we raised funds from some institutional investors. But what they also provide by nature of their investment is that they are at the Web3 level looking at Web3 investments. You need the lawyers, the consultants, the uh, you know accountants, the PR firms go to market. I think gathering all those stakeholders are what we need. What Avium is as a business is that we obviously look at the go-to-market. How do we build the community? How do we bring it there? And then for the rest where we don't have those expertise, we partner with the experts, which we call our ecosystem partners. It's almost like Singapore. Let's say they don't know how to produce fast food. They say, hey, McDonald's, come here. Join the Singapore ecosystem, build in here, bring value to this. There will be people, there will be funding, and together we will prosper together. That's what we are, you know, that, that's where we are walking towards and the grand vision and success statement. Awesome. Where are you now? Well, what is the ecosystem? How, 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 what, do, what can people feel and see? So, so uh, we're very fortunate. We, we did our first fundraise last year in about July, August. At, at the same time, we launched our first collection. And the first collection, uh, the first batch of assets, just think of it that way, right? The first batch of NFTs. Uh, it was a free mint. It was earned through various things. And today, it's about about 3,000 to 3,005 USD trading on the market. I think that's the... So I think on the Web3 side, we've had that. In terms of our partners, we've onboarded Circle and Caravan Studio, I shared earlier, who are dedicating full-time resources to building an avium. About 200 to 250 artists and animators and developers. We've onboarded four esports teams. We haven't announced all of them. One of them is GeekFam, which we have announced, uh, playing under the banner Geek Slate. Slate is our esports arm branding name. Uh, and, and competing in the Dota 2 series. Uh, we already have that fundraising. We have those financing partners looking uh, to support us and, and you know, journeying with us. We have a community of over, I think, 50,000 people looking at Avium, uh, just purely on our social kind of accounts. In terms of the attention we command just from our Dota 2 team, right? I think you're talking about tens of millions. Uh, 
you know, through in, in the last few months and, and across the year, you're looking at hundreds of millions because of the team and the attention esports command. So we've built that structure of, you know, the, the esports and the team and how do we onboard esports teams? We've built that structure for the, the media studios and animation studios and how they can uh, onboard. We are talking to different partners to bring them on board to the AVM ecosystem. And the next milestone is, I think like I shared earlier, 25th January, where we POC our AVM Origins Mint. Uh, very excited to have quite a bit of support from the various uh, communities as well, you know. I think we've had huge support from Memeland. So this is 9Gag, right? 9Gag, uh, 9Gag CEO and, and, and his, his community have been great support. Uh, and, you know, just really building towards the next phase after this. Awesome. Very excited. Um, it's pretty much uh, a lot of what I wanted to know about Avia. I think a lot of it is now leading up to uh, the moment, as you mentioned. Let's talk about the market today and how has that affected Avium in general? Like, as, as a lot of people know, it's a bear market. Um, there's a lot of crypto companies that have had a very negative outcome. Why should this not deter people from joining, especially for people who are very unaware of what exactly is Web2, not to mention Web2, uh, Web3 gaming, uh, why is it legit enough for people to jump in? I think um, the, the truth is that Web3 crypto has been tainted by a number of bad actors or, or, or non-prudent measures you know, on the better end. Uh, I can fully understand when people say that you know, they're a bit skeptical, there's concern. I think that's right. I think uh, regardless of wherever you go to, Web 2, Web 3, right? You want to find people or projects or teams which are trustworthy and where you can verify that. And I think that's exactly how we want to build. Like, we are extremely transparent, uh, sometimes to a fault, as to what we do, you know, what our plans are, who are we building with, and all the founding teams are, are docs. I think to our community, we have one-on-one -on -one calls, you know, we speak to them directly, we meet them in person. I flew around, so in December when we were doing like our kind of like Asia tour, I flew around to four to five countries to meet the community members there just so they didn't know as a person there. I think the truth of the matter is that even more so in Web3, you want to build trust in a trustless world because blockchain technology is about trustless technology because you don't have to rely on an intermediary. But Ironically, it is even more important to build trust in a trustless world. And this is the time anybody building now, generally speaking, is either really crazy, you know, you're a bit off, or you really believe that you can do things for the better and you have a shot here. Uh, it's a good time to find the right partners to aggregate and to consolidate good people together. And that is what we are doing. So now it's, it's not as rosy, you know, the rainbows as in the bull market where liquidity is tight, but it pertains to who we are as well in how we want to build and really building for the better in a very trustworthy and transparent way. The bear is for the building. It's when you actually see good builders. Bear is for the building indeed. You are right. <laughs> awesome. In that case, how, if somebody were interested in Avium or 
the Web3 space or like in your specific industry, um, enabling IP, enabling these game studios get into Web3, how does one get involved? What would you advise them? I think the, the interesting thing about Web3 now is that you don't have a lot of teaching content out there, right? There, there are some articles, of course, right? But the, the truth is that before an industry is defined, it's very hard to kind of reduce things to a principle where you can share knowledge with. I think to step into Web3, uh, today, you need to participate in it. You need to be on Discord, you need to go on Twitter, you need to sink yourself into crypto Twitter, meet people. And, and there are amazing communities out there where you can really meet and talk to people. Uh, I, I would obviously say that Avium is one of them. The people here make sure that, you know, we, we share all our theories, how we build, what we are building. We share this really openly with our people. If you want to learn, the founding team is always open to any Avium community member. And I will share everything I know and learn because of this. And, and that's the opportunity. And I think the state of the market now is that you have to be in to learn. I think there are some other broader resources you can tap on. A16Z has some good material on, on you know, decoupling or, or really breaking down what Web3 is, what, what they think about it. I think there are many theories, but really, I mean, even Avium has its own material. We have our Medium page, you know, we have a good book where we summarize some of these. Uh, we share, we share some of these in our town hall meetings. But if you are around, meet the right people, speak to the right people uh, and, uh, have good conversations. Uh, that really, is the best way to learn in the current stage of the market, which is pretty young. Got it. Sounds good. Any any, any favorites, both uh, an in-person and a digital uh, resource that you'd like to share? Oh, uh, I mean, there's so many, man. There, there, are, there, there are a couple. I think from Web2 case studies, let me give you some case studies I, I really like about this whole mm. direct-to-community publishing. Look at so I, I, I gave the Reese Witherspoon example of a book club. Uh, look at how Ryan Reynolds purchased the Wrexham football club and what he did after that. Uh, we look at BTS. How does BTS build its fan economy and its fan structure? Uh, we look at Tencent. How does Tencent build its ecosystem starting from the community first? Uh, I think these are some of the inspirations and kind of web two case studies we are reading about. I think people forget that they think Web3 is you know, blockchain, crypto, but like I kind of broke down earlier, I think Web3 is technology adoption together with social movement. Uh, and all the case studies kind of like give a bit more light on what this social movement is. Awesome. Um, I really like the Reese Witherspoon book club uh, example. I'll definitely deep dive into the other that you mentioned. Um, yeah. Well, in that case, uh, any final words before we get into uh, your social social accounts? I guess the last, I guess, shameless plug is is you know come come check Avium out. I think what we are building there there are a lot of Web three companies. I think what we are building is really taking a lot of that Web two discipline and coupling with Web three, the new frontier of Web three, and seeing how to build uh, together. The founding team has an experience. You know, my co-founder built one of the largest East West agencies organizations in Southeast Asia, Asia. Uh, I've done, you know, million dollar deals across the world and structuring, uh, incentive alignment and infrastructure and deal structure across, you know, various tech companies. Uh, what we are doing is bring all the experience and seeing how we can make Web3 a better place 
if you are a Web2 person uh, looking to onboard, uh, you know, we'd love to, to obviously chat to anyone and, and share and bounce ideas as to what we're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. That was a very great chat. Looking forward to the launch of Asian Origins. Thank you very much. It was a very, very, uh, I, I enjoyed myself and thank you for having me uh, on this show.